Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. Well, the flickering lights are on, the cobwebs are swept, and the front door has creaked ominously open. That's right, our haunted house submissions period is officially underway. I'm sure you know the drill by this point. TalesToTerrify.com slash submissions has all of the finer details you need to know to submit your story. Full submissions for all types of horror tales will open in a few weeks. I'll keep you posted. This week, our deepest, darkest, deadliest thanks goes out to our newest patron, Alexander Rigel. Thanks for feeding our darkness with your support, Alexander. These tales truly wouldn't be possible without the generosity of amazingly twisted creatures like yourself. Patreon.com slash Tales to Terrify if you'd like to join. And that's it. That's all I've got for you this week, children of the night. Short and sweet. Let's get to our fiction. We have one tale this evening, which comes from Jonathan Louis Duckworth. Jonathan Louis Duckworth received his MFA from Florida International University. His fiction, poetry, and nonfiction 
appears in New Ohio Review, 14 Hills, Gulf Coast, Meridian, Tupelo Quarterly, Pseudopod, Superstition Review, Flash Fiction Online, and elsewhere. And his chapbook, Book of Never, was published by Finishing Line Press. He has been nominated for Best New Poets, Best of the Net, and Best American Science Fiction and Fantasy. He is a Ph.D. student at University of North Texas. Children of the Night Join me for Jonathan Louis Duckworth's The Emperor's Firstborn, a Tales to Terrify original. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Budapest, Hungary, 1929 
Karoy was just one of dozens of workers filing out of the tannery in time to watch the stubborn summer sun cling to its last purchase on the rooftops. Every man was dressed the same in shabby overcoats and workaday hats. Every man stunk of the chemicals and dyes of their trade. Karoy was only one more gawker in the crowd as a sparkling new Skoda 430 wended the street corner and crashed into a pothole, a common hazard in Budapest that locals knew to avoid. But while his colleagues watched the driver, a tall, prosperous fellow in a smart green Stresemann suit step out to assess the damage, only Karoy noticed that the car, laden like a Silk Road camel with crates and bags tied to the roof, had jettisoned something during impact. A large jar wrapped in cloth rolled across the street to where Karoy stood. He picked up the parcel without thinking. It was heavy and big enough to store two gallons. He couldn't see anything through the cloth wrapping. Hey! Karoy looked up. The motorist was staring right at him, sniffing the air aristocratically. Karoy knew what he should do. He should return the man's property. Every conventional fiber in him said so and so it was quite a surprise to him when his feet turned and his legs broke into a dead sprint. The motorist screamed, but his voice died as Kaurai rounded the corner. The jar's contents sloshed with each stride. He hoped there would be pickles inside. Life was always better with a jar of pickles. It was not pickles. This was clear as soon as Kaurai cut the twine that fastened the bundle and the cloth wrapping unraveled revealing a large, clear glass carboy filled with sallow brine, and floating in that brine was an infant child. It had tiny hands, and its undersized useless legs tapered like taproots, while its body curved shrimp-like under the shadow of its immense head. His first impression was that it must be of noble, even kingly blood, the unfortunate stillborn progeny of one of the great European houses. Surely such a curio is worth money to someone. He watched the infant floating serenely in its glass prison for a while, before remarking a small label affixed to the carboy's side. The label was in German, which Karoy couldn't read, but he copied down the words on an envelope. There were men at the tannery who could read German and would know what it meant. He watched the suspended infant a while longer before a sense of shame compelled him to cover it again and then stashed it in the old cupboard in the kitchen next to the plates and silverware, the only piece of furniture his mother had left him. He slept well and did not dream of pale, sightless eyes watching him through cloth, glass, cupboard, and walls. The next day, during their lunch break, Karoy showed the words he'd copied from the jar to his co-worker Franz. Franz was one of the only men at the tannery that he got on with. He was jealous of Franz big and boisterous and loud, not a meek mumbler like him. Hmm, let's see. Franz took the envelope from him. Der Erstgeborene des Kaisers. In German it means the Emperor's Firstborn. Karoy couldn't help but gasp. He'd been right about the jar's contents. Where'd you see this anyway? Franz asked, putting a meaty arm around him. Oh, it, it was the name of a pub I saw. A poor lie. I've never heard of such a pub. It was in Lipotvarosh. Ah, so a fancy place. That seemed to be the end of it. The break ended and their shift resumed. But at the end of work, Franz approached him, smiling big and sly. It's the thing you took, isn't it? 
what fell off that foreigner's car? Garoy's palms began to sweat. He nodded. I want to see it, Franz said. But first, let's get a drink. Franz bought three rounds and was kind enough to suffer Kaurai's rambling about how he'd always wanted to be a sculptor. The streetlights were like luminous clouds of vapor, and everything was funny when he and Franz stumbled up the stairs to Kaurai's apartment. Prepare yourself, Kaurai sputtered, his ribs hurting from holding back laughter, for a true wonder of the... Oh, goddammit! As he opened the cupboard and took up the jar, his fingers slick with sweat and chicken grease fumbled the jar which landed hard on the wooden floorboards and shattered, disgorging two gallons of liquid and the fetal passenger. The two men, nose-blind to all but the worst of odors from the work in the tannery, began to gasp and cough from a stench to rival Gehenna's. It burned the nostrils and closed the throat. Kaurai felt he was breathing through a reed as his vision blurred. Franz did not, could not stay to help him clean. The embalming fluid had seeped everywhere, and Gauroy worked alone, cursing his clumsiness and frantically mopping it up before it could leach into the grain of the floorboards and become permanent. While he worked, the gray infant lay forgotten, curled up like a shrimp, its sheen of formaldehyde drying in the air. He was almost finished when he heard the first hiccup. Karoy looked over his shoulder at the pathetic rat-sized coil of what was surely dead gray flesh as it began to kick its lumpy mandragora legs and turn its head toward him. Eyelids opened and closed over white eyes, but they closed the wrong way. Vertical skin folds that met at the meridians of the eyeballs, almost like curtains. The mop slipped from Karoy's hands and its handle clattered on the floorboards as he wondered if any liquor distilled by man could inspire such delusions. And then, the baby opened its little mouth, showing a dark gray palate, and began to cry. The unmistakable colicky clarion of infant hunger. Midnight found Karoy still shaking off the liquor's venom, shambling through the narrow alleys of the Ferencvaros district. He had never gone looking for a woman before, yet he knew from his co-workers of where they could be found. It was not any sort of piety, but bashfulness and poverty that kept him chaste. That, and the horrible odor of the tannery that never left him, no matter how much he bathed himself. The baby was cold and damp against his shirt, tucked under his overcoat. Although the darkness of the coat had silenced its crying, much as a bird stops singing when its cage is shaded, the thing still kept squirming pawing with its little digits at Karoy's damp shirt. It was heavier than such a little thing should be, and the tanner walked with a slight hitch. Patience, little one, he whispered. We will find you some milk. The baby had shown no interest in the saucer of cow's milk he'd offered it at the apartment, and when it wouldn't stop crying, he knew there was no other solution but to find a teat for it to suckle. And so here Karoy was, knocking at doors and popping into seedy alleys to inquire after the services of a nursing woman, a woman heavy with milk. The looks he got, the sneers, the giggles turned him pink and made him wish he could walk away from his own skin, but he persisted, while the baby kept squirming, until at last he found a pipe-smoking pensioner sitting at the stoop of a tall brick apartment building. I know a woman suitable for your peculiar taste, mister. 
the little old man said. Sophia lives on the third floor, apartment number six. I saw her leaking just this morning. But she may not want to see you. Why not? She's in mourning, is all the old man would say. Kauroi navigated the two flights of stairs until he stood outside apartment number six. It was so late he worried she might be asleep, but when he put his ear to the door, he heard the threadbare crackle of a radio and a woman sobbing. He hesitated, but then the baby squirmed again, and he summoned the nerve to knock. Jofia cradled the baby against her bosom, one hand buttressing its radish limbs and the other cupping its canteen of a head. It doesn't look like you, mister, she said. Doesn't look like anyone, he replied. That's true. What a marvelous thing. That she was not disgusted by the baby was only a little more surprising than her being able to suffer Karoi standing so close to her, when every other woman he'd known recoiled at his industrial odor. She seemed untroubled by both of them, and fascinated with the child. She tickled its concave chest, and that set it off crying again. I don't have much money, Garoy said, but I will pay what I can if you nurse it. Garoy took a thin roll of rumpled blue pango banknotes, but Jofia pushed the money back into his hands. I won't charge you for this, she said, and then she kissed the baby on its barren gray scalp. Company is its own reward on nights like this. Garoy stared at the empty bassinet in the dark corner of her parlor and stuffed the pangos back into his pocket. Jofia stood up from her chaise lounge and carried the baby from the parlor to her bedroom. And before he even realized what he was doing, Karoi followed her. It was strange and welcome how he, usually so bashful in the company of women, felt so comfortable in this woman's bedroom. Perhaps because she was a whore by trade, or maybe because she showed no disgust toward him. She had a plump, full figure, rosy skin, and wavy hair the brash, bright color of copper piping. She had a charming gap between her teeth and a dark mole on her collarbone. She wore a thick crust of pale powder and rouge over her face, but it did not entirely obscure the old bruises. Jofia sat on the edge of her bed and tugged open her blouse, laying the baby against the swell of her breast so that its mouth was almost flushed to the pink bean of her nipple. There was a leaven fullness to Jofia's flesh, like a soft, yeasty white dough that Karoi could only ever admire through bakery windows as he nibbled on heels of rye. He realized he was staring and looked away. Jofia tutted. It's not hungry. Not for my milk, anyway. She set the baby gently down on her pillow and fastened her blouse again. Whose is it? I don't know. I think it's of royal blood, though. Yes, I think you're right, Jofia said, watching as the baby crawled on its forelimbs toward her nightstand. It has the frail body and pale skin of a royal. A Habsburg, you think? Why don't you wrinkle your nose, miss? Pardon? My odor. No one can stand to be this close to me, not even most men. If you say you stink, I shall have to take your word, mister. When I was a girl, a cold took my sense of smell, and I've never gotten it back. Astounding. Karoi trembled. This felt special. A rare opportunity. 
Suddenly, Jophia shrieked, Baby, don't! While they had been speaking, neither had been watching the baby, and it had gotten to the nightstand and somehow gotten a bottle of Jophia's nail polish open. It now put the bottle to its lips and began drinking the noxious red potion inside the vial. First Jophia and then Karoy tried to pry the nail polish from the baby's grasp, but its frail-looking fingers belied an iron grip, and neither could wrest the poison from it. When the baby was finished, it let out a belch and then giggled, its vertical eyelids fluttering. Jophia picked it up again and held it to her. Incredible, she said. How could anything drink that and live? Karoy didn't know. What he did know was that the baby was not crying anymore and appeared perfectly healthy. Some ruddy color was even creeping into its cheeks, though that could have been the pigment from the nail polish. Thank you, Jophia, Karoy said. You've been of immense help. Not at all, mister. Karoy, call me Karoy. She smiled, and he felt his own face splitting with a smile to mirror hers. Would you perhaps bring the baby back tomorrow night, Karoy? He thought about it. It's difficult to carry it through the streets. Then perhaps you can give me your address. I could bring more nail polish. The baby was starting to sniffle and babble on the pillow where Karoy had set it down, while Karoy saw to his long-neglected appearance. He told himself he wouldn't get his hopes up, wouldn't open his heart to another sting. But even so, here he was, parting his hair down the middle with the aid of a comb and a handful of pomade he found in a tin left behind by the flat's previous tenant. His cheeks still stung from a spackling of nicks and cuts left after he'd shaved his beard for the first time in years with a razor also left behind by the previous tenant. He had doused himself in cologne, a symbolic gesture, really. He'd shined his shoes, and he was wearing the best and newest of his three shirts. As the sun set, Karoy sat at his kitchen table and dandled the baby on his knee. It was looking bigger and healthier than before, and the rootling toes on its legs were lengthening. Even if she doesn't show, we have each other, don't we? He said to the baby as it wrapped its hand around his thumb. His dinner of onions, just onions, was cooking in the oven, and he had finally managed to wrench off with his teeth the cork from a bottle of what he assumed was good wine, because it was dark red and it had a vinegary bouquet. He had only one glass, but that would be more romantic, wouldn't it? Everything was ready. He waited. The sweet smell of successive layers of onion yielding to caramelization filled his little apartment and the baby kept babbling and trying to crawl off his lap. Godroy poured himself a glass of wine. Well, old boy, you've done it again. The wine was astringent, sour and woody, like what he imagined the blood of a scarecrow would taste like. A knock at his door. Godroy set the baby back on its pillow and hurried to fling open his door. Jophia was even more lovely than the night before, her lips red and her eyelids shaded with dusky purple. She kissed him on the cheek and pressed her body against his. Where's the baby? she asked. I brought many colors of nail polish. As the baby drank vial after vial on its little pillow throne, Karoy and Sophia ate the dinner of onions. Onions, when cooked long enough at the right heat, sprinkled with a little salt, and then speared through with a forkful of fresh butter, had always been Karoy's favorite. And if Sophia had any objection to the humble repast... She betrayed none. 
nor was she put off by his way of chewing with his mouth half open, nor did she show boredom when he spoke of his dream of becoming a sculptor, and even complimented his skill when he showed her the little monkey and rabbit carvings he made from the stones of peaches and apricots. The wine was another story, but she bravely forced it down while smiling, and it was lovely to see her gapped teeth dyed with the wine's tannins. After drinking every bottle, the baby fell asleep on its pillow. Jofia's hand traveled under the table and found Karoy's. He squeezed her hand, grateful for its weight and warmth, like a little bird in his palm. A baby should have a name, Jofia said. Why not just baby? Jofia smiled. Yes, why not? She filled the one glass with a few glugs of the foul wine and lifted it. To baby. Karoy took the glass from her hands and lifted it to his lips. To baby. And to pleasant company. Now Jofia's hand settled on his knee, and then quickly marched up his thigh, prompting shivers and a nervous quiver in his loins. He looked away from her. I don't have any money to pay you, Jofia. Jofia squeezed his thigh. Oh, you sweet, silly man. I'm not working tonight. A week passed, then two. Baby grew larger and stronger, and Jofia visited every night. For Karoy, who had long grown accustomed to trudging home after work to an empty apartment, it was a revelation to look forward to something. For the first week, Jofia kept baby fed with the elixirs of her trade, nail polish, acetone, and such. But as baby grew rapidly into the proportions of a stripling child, its taste changed. No more was it interested in her little colorful vials. It craved stronger stuff. First was the bottle of cologne in Kaurai's washroom. Next was a can of turpentine it punctured with its new fangs and then drained. Though it was dangerous, Kaurai resorted to pinching supplies from the tannery, bottles of industrial dyes and flasks of ammoniac solutions and acidic tinctures. These suited baby well, and it grew ever more robust. It was clear by the middle of the second week that Baby was changing into something there wasn't a word for. Its rootling legs developed from vestigial afterthoughts into powerful locomotive limbs tipped in digitigrade hands, while its long, lanky arms were supplemented by the emergence of several flexible tentacles, with which it was constantly groping, feeling the surfaces and angles and textures of everything in Karoy's apartment. It's true what they say about royalty, Karoy remarked one night as he and Jofia sat smoking at the kitchen table, watching Baby crawling like a spider on the ceiling. Their blood really is different than ours. In the mornings when Karoy had to leave for work, Baby would wrap its tentacles around his ankles and tug at them, the burr-like spines on the tentacles snagging on Karoy's socks and pant legs. Such sad mewling, such a sorry face it would make, as if to say, Please don't leave me alone. But Karoy had his job and his work put poison in Baby's stomach. Stomachs? And each night when Karoy returned, he'd find Baby staring through the dusty windows at the streets below, tracking with its milky eyes the movements of pedestrians and horses and dogs. That concerned him, but then it was only natural Baby would be curious about the outside world. In the ensuing days, Karoy started finding the rats. Baby was such a messy and careless eater leaving the husks in the bathtub, on the kitchen table, under Karoy's bed. 
Although he never saw baby feed, the mechanism was clear enough from inspecting the carcasses. Baby would puncture the skulls with its fangs and then slurp the insides and all the liquids, leaving desiccated ingots of fur and bone. Yes, it bothered Karoi that Baby was so inconsiderate with its messes, but at least there were no more rats scurrying in the walls. Life was good. Different, but good. Until the night Jofia didn't show. For most of three weeks, Jofia had visited him and Baby without fail, and yet midnight came and there was still no Jofia. Karoi put on his coat and left the apartment, following the same streets and alleys that had first taken him to Jofia's door. The old man with his pipe was there as before, and he recognized Karoi. Poor girl, had a terrible row, he said. Screaming all night she was, crying too. Karoi thundered up the stairs to apartment number six and found the door slightly ajar. His mind buzzed with all sorts of horrible ideas before he pushed the door open. The apartment was a war zone, chairs smashed, Shea lounge upturned, paintings broken, the radio gone. Garoy followed the thread of sobs to Jofia's bedroom, where he found his love on her bed, wrapped in blood-blotched sheets, sobbing and holding a broken, still-bleeding nose. Garoy, don't see me now, she said, trying to hide her face from him. His instinct was to embrace her, but when she flinched, he stopped short and instead sat at the edge of her bed. Who did this to you? He barely recognized the edge in his own voice. Please, it's a family matter. Don't involve yourself. He spoke quietly again. Tell me who did this. The next night, he found Cousin David at the pub where Sophia said he could be found. After spending most of his money filling the lout with liquor, Karoi walked with David toward the apartment, where Karoi had promised his sweet morning fresh sister lived. How easy it was for David to believe that a stranger would sell his own sister. Perhaps because David found it so easy to sell his cousin night after night. Karoi watched the veins and rumpled folds of skin at the back of David's shaven head. For all he had drunk, David walked with the sober gait. He could not believe anyone could be so terrible to their own blood. Jofia, a poor teenage girl left orphaned by the Great War, with only her destitute aunt to care for her. Then there was David, a resentful child who blamed Jofia for his mother's illness and death to influenza, who stole what little she made from her work, justifying it as her repaying him for his mother's kindness, and who beat her if he thought she might be hiding something from him. How young did you say she was? David asked. Young enough for you, good sir. When they entered the apartment, Kaurui invited him to have a seat. I want to see her. Patience, Kaurui said, setting down a bottle of palinka for David's consumption. She must have time to make herself ready. Inside the washroom, Baby was squirming, no doubt agitated by an unknown presence in the apartment. Ah, I can hear her dolling herself up in the washroom. <laughs> David sat giggling as he sat down and opened the bottle. Karoi forced a smile. Excuse me a moment, friend. Karoi walked over to the kitchen where he'd left the hammer. Despite every effort to control his breathing, his breaths came out ragged, and each footstep of his was an explosion of creaking wood. As he approached David from behind, the lout was swinging from the bottle. 
Gauray tried to focus on his red ears and his ugly, stubbled folds of skin like plucked chicken hide. Easy there, Karoy. Murder's not so much. Nothing different from hammering in a crooked nail or peeling an apple. It's all just stuff. But as he raised his arm to bring down the hammer, Karoy hesitated, for he saw himself reflected on the bottle of palinka, saw his own frightened face, his mother's eyes, his father's mouth, and David saw him too. Before Kare could strike, David whipped around and smashed the bottle across his face. Kare fell, and David got on top of him. With each crushing blow to his face, chest, and ribs, Kare thought he could feel the bloom of new fractures in his bones, like lines on a railway map. Could feel muscle and organs squished to pulp. His ears were ringing, and only one of his eyes was open when David climbed off him and said, now we'll see about that sister of yours. Karoy heard the door open, heard David scream, heard the squelchy violence of baby's fangs collapsing a human skull, followed by wet, gratifying slurping. The shroud mercifully fell over Karoy, and he slept. His greatest regret was that he was too injured to help Jofia dispose of her cousin, but to hear her tell it, it was no Herculean labor. Much like an orange, most of the human body's weight is moisture, and once all the blood, fat, and vital fluid is drained, what's left is a wafer of bone and skin, easily crumpled into a burlap sack, and easily dumped into the Danube. While Karoy convalesced from his injuries, Jofia and Baby tended to him. Despite his reservations against living in sin, Jofia left her old flat and moved in with Karoy to better care for him. Meanwhile, Baby was growing quite robust, no longer a skeletal wisp but a strapping man-sized figure. Fleshy appendages were sprouting from its shoulders above where the tentacles had grown. Jofia said they looked like the beginnings of wings. Baby revealed yet more surprises. When Jofia wasn't around to shoo it off, Baby would waddle to Karoy's bedside and probe the bruises and cuts on his body with its tentacles the thistle-like spines and those feelers prickling his tender skin. Though it hurt at first, the appendages would release a pleasant, intense heat that numbed the sight of injury, and once Baby removed its tentacles, the bruises and lacerations would be dramatically lessened. Thanks to these ministrations, injuries that should have taken weeks to heal turned around in days. Jofia's nose was also healing quickly, and Karoy suspected Baby was treating her as she slept. Even so, Karoy didn't recover fast enough. Five days into his recovery, a man from the tannery delivered the bad news that Karoy had been let go. How he wept that night in his bed, with Jofia hugging him to her bosom and baby trilling plaintively as it rubbed its bulbous head against his shoulder. How can I keep a roof over our heads now? Karoy said. We'll be out on the streets. Don't you have family, darling? Jofia asked. Didn't you say you have a rich uncle or something? Gauroy laughed through his tears. Uncle Wenzel, you mean? The miser? No, Jofia, he won't help. How do you know he won't? Because when Papa, his own brother, died, Wenzel wouldn't even pay for the funeral. He thought my Papa was a useless drunk, and he thinks I'm the same. But you work so hard. He didn't think so. He's the one who fired me. The tannery is his business. 
and you're his only living blood. Yes, not that he cares. But if he died, you'd inherit his wealth, right? <laughs> He'll outlive me. Such is the way with men like him. They endure like Methuselah to worsen the hardships of those beneath them. But what if there was an accident? He looked at Jophia. He saw himself reflected in her clever green eyes. The look of a man seeing her for the first time. She kissed his forehead. You help me with my problem. I can help you with yours. A little over a month has passed, and Karoy has gotten Uncle Wenzel's yeasty old man musk out of almost every corner of the manor. Only in Uncle's favorite haunts, like the corner of the library where Wenzel would watch his stock ticker, do ghosts of his odor persist. But then, he's never completely scrubbed out the stink of the tannery either, no matter what soap or cologne he buys. It's a pleasant evening on the banks of the Danube, and Kauroi strides into the dining chamber with its long cherry wood banquet table, where his wife Sophia is waiting for him, dressed in a sleek powder blue of the pattern popular in London. Her hair is done in a bob now, like the movie stars in America. Kauroi kisses her cheek before sitting across from her. George the chef has already served the evening meal, pheasant cooked in a cherry reduction sauce and served on a bed of chard. From upstairs, the ceiling shakes and bits of plaster spiral down onto the table. Baby is getting so big now. Soon its current diet may not sustain it. And there's the matter of space. The master bath, though spacious, is becoming cramped. Perhaps they'll house Baby in the stables, or build it a barn. Not knowing how large Baby will eventually grow occupies much of Karoi's thoughts, nearly as much as the dark rumors of rampant short-selling coming out of the American Stock Exchange. Still, he is blessed to have the family he has. To Baby, Karoi says, lifting his glass of toke. Jofia also lifts her glass and smiles, but there's something pale in her expression. What's the trouble, dearest? Karoi asks. You have such nice clothes now. Jophia says. I know it's silly, but I'd prefer it if now and then you'd wear your old coat to supper. What, that tattered old rag? It would make me happy. Well, all right. I'll wear my old coat tomorrow night. So rewarding, so full and bright the smile she now favors him with. Everything tastes better when she smiles. Behind her head... A long marble shelf draped in taffeta displays Karoi's efforts in his nascent career as amateur sculptor. His latest work was his best yet, a clay model of Dear Baby, posed like Michelangelo's David. Karoi is particularly proud of how the tentacles and wings have turned out. He's nearly finished with his meal when his valet Tabor enters the room. Sir, madam, pardon the interruption. There's a visitor for Mr. Horvath. Karoi stiffened. At this hour? It's not that greedy little Inspector Orban looking for another bribe, I hope. No, sir. He appears to be an Austrian gentleman of good breeding. Herr Kanzler is his name. Is something wrong, dear? Zofia asks. Do you know of such a man? No, Karoi says, setting down his napkin. There's nothing familiar in the name, and yet as he rises from the table... 
He's haunted by the sense that a pot long left to simmer has boiled over. Tell Herr Kanzler I'll see him in the library. When the visitor arrives in the library, Karoy's blood chills. For as much as Karoy has changed in a few short months, the motorist, dressed in the same green stressamon as before, is unaltered. A bit thinner and paler, perhaps, but otherwise the same striking fellow in tailored silk with neatly pressed black hair and a pencil mustache on his lip. Karoy forces a smile and gestures to an empty chair near the fireplace opposite his own, but the visitor, Herr Kanzler, will not sit. Mr. Horvath, you were a finer coat than when I first met you, Herr Kanzler says, and yet I would recognize your smell anywhere. That's a fine way to introduce yourself to your host, Karoy says. Let's not dither. You took something from me, and though you could never have understood what you took, know that it must be returned. Karoy attempts his best card player's face. I don't know what you're talking about. Herr Kanzler's dark eyes glimmer in the firelight. Sir, I don't know if you still have the jar or if you have sold it on to a dealer of curios, but eyes away, I must know where it is. The Brotherhood doesn't know it's lost yet, and if you give it to me now, they didn't ever know. Garoy raises his voice. Brotherhood, what are you babbling about? From the dining room, Jofia calls. Darling, are you all right in there? Herr Kanzler's eyes shift slyly. Does your wife know? Does she know she's married to a dirty thief? Karoy's fists tremble. Get out of my house. Herr Kanzler moves for the door. Why don't we ask her? Karoy tries to intercept him, but Herr Kanzler has a quick, efficient stride and a head start. By the time Karoy thumps into the dining room, Kanzler is already there kissing Jofia's hand. Karoy grabs Herr Kanzler by his coat and spins him away, but the gentleman shakes him off. Madam, there's something I must tell you of your husband. Herr Kanzler trails off, his eyes arrested by something. Karoy follows his gaze to the row of sculptures set against the wall, to the sculpture of Baby. Der Eskeborene des Kaisers? Herr Kanzler gasps, and then the ceiling shakes, and more plaster drifts down, bits of white dusting Herr Kanzler's lapels. When he looks to Karoy, the sharp, aristocratic resolve in his eyes has shattered. You... you hatched it? I told you to get out of my house, Karoy answers, calm now. I must vaunt the Brotherhood, Herr Kanzler shrieks, and then he lapses into German. Dosendis na, the Kaiser de Lire kommt hier hier. Karoy tries to grab him by his coat, but Kanzler swipes his hands away and shoves him hard. Karoy is stumbling when Herr Kanzler turns to leave, and Jofia thrusts a carving knife from the dinner table into his throat. Kanzler gasps, clasps a hand to the wound, gurgles, whimpers, stumbles, and falls. A puddle almost as dark as the redolent mahogany floorboards blooms beneath Kanzler's fetal curl. Karoy sits down hard. His hands are trembling as Jofia plants a flurry of kisses on his cheeks and lips. It's all right, it's all right, she says until he believes her. Until his hands stop trembling, and faithful Tabor reports to the room and asks if Mr. and Madame would like the refuse to be brought to Master Baby's chambers. Jofia leads Karoy to the billiards room, and as they've done before, she turns on the phonograph and plays a slow waltz to drown out the slurping and sucking upstairs. 
As Karoy dances with Sophia, he stares at another of his sculptures of baby and receives a glimpse of something, a flash, an apparition, an astronomer's canvas, and something moving in the void, something even darker than the night itself, visible only by the stars its sinuous slithering form occludes, a thing hurtling at impossible speeds, dragging itself through the infinite black toward a helpless droplet of blue. Is something wrong? Jophia asks, resting her bobbed head fragrant with rose water and lilac against his chest. No, dear, Garoy says, and he means it. With the warm weight of her hand in his, her sweet breath on his cheek, how could he feel anything but delight? And if the emperor is coming, why should I not be grateful for what good care Karoy and Jophia have given its firstborn? That was Jonathan Louis Duckworth's The Emperor's Firstborn, as read by Spencer Desparty. Spencer Desparty is a professional narrator and musician from Phoenix, Arizona. He's done work for such literary podcasts as Pseudopod, Escape Artists, Starship Sofa, and Tales to Terrify. You can find all of his musical projects on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com. Thagirian Band. Thank you, Spencer. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters on Patreon and PayPal. Incredible fans like Kathy Robinson and Amanda Gottfried, whose generous support helps keep the lights on and flickering ominously. Not a supporter already? Head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify, where you'll find all kinds of perks like ad-free and extended episodes, bonus content, and one-of-a-kind collectibles and merch packs. Every dollar goes back into this show to make it as horrific as possible, and we appreciate it so much. Want another way to support the show that doesn't cost a cent? Head over to Stitcher, Podchaser, or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. You'll not only put an unnaturally wide smile on our faces, but help new listeners discover our terrifying tales, too. Now you can share your love of the show out in the world with some Tales to Terrify merch. TalesToTerrify.com slash merch will take you to our Tee Public store, where we've got a great collection of creepy custom and curated designs that's always growing, so check back often. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Meredith Morgenstern, Andrew Gibson, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. 
Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we distort your sense of reality with more Tales to Terrify. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 